folks came from all around, from near and from far. complicated and also easy. It's a practice and a feeling and a gift. It's pleasurable and painful because it's intimately related to the knowledge that life is impermanent. Nice. Hey, we're so glad that you uh, found your way here tonight to the House of Mercy and all of you watching on the TV and uh, the radio. It's good to see uh, you. Um, so yeah, welcome. And uh, how you guys doing? It's good to see you as well here. Yeah, good. We have, I hear, uh, guest artists. Amazing. Yeah, Miles and Amara. You can, yeah. I don't know that I've ever, you've ever guest artists before here. Oh, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. Yeah. All right. But Miles has been coming here since he was born. Since he was born, yeah. That's very true. Yeah. All right. It's good. Yeah. Hey, you know, we have stuff going on in Lent. Every Wednesday yeah. in Lent, starting with the Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, mm -hmm. we're going to have a Vesper service uh, with, what are we calling it? I'm sorry. We're calling it Be Still Vespers something something. Lenten Vespers, a yeah. contemplative practice, right? Yeah. And we're actually going to have some original uh, Vespers music from you guys, right? <laughs> Wait, I'm confused. Are they the Vespers? <laughs> Where are they? I don't know. We don't know what Vespers is. But it's a liturgy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right. We're trying to, we're just doing, we've been Lutheran for, you know, two decades now, but we're still getting the hang of it. Yeah. It's going to be great, though. And contemplative? It's going to be contemplative. It's going to be traditional and original all at the same time. It's going to taste just like that, the... The cocktail you had the other week, the vodka vespers, except oh, yeah. without the vodka. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. That was my favorite part, actually. <laughs> okay, no, that's good. It'll, it'll, it'll relax you in a similar way. Yeah. Right, well, I look forward to it. And then the word, there's going to be a meal beforehand. Uh, House of Mercy, our community, is making the meal. And it's going to be 5.30. 5.30. You can come eat when uh, pre-vesper. And the vespers is at 6.30. Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah. And then we're going to do it every week all through... Uh... Lent. Lent. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Excellent. Oh, just some stuff to put on your calendar. We're all very excited about this. Um, Easter's coming, which means Stations of the Cross is coming, which is always uh, fantastic. And uh, if you are interested, we still need artists. If you're interested in participating, uh, just look at a recent newsletter. It'll explain it all or come talk to me and it'll be fantastic. Also, too, uh, during Lent, uh, James Allison, our patron saint, is going to come and be with us for uh, two times. What, the 19th of he's March? He's going to preach on the 19th, Sunday the 19th, and he's going to... 
uh, do a talk on Saturday the 25th. Yeah, so, so that's, uh, mark that on your calendars, which, yeah. This is the House of Mercy and welcome to it. Would you please join me in the prayer of invocation? God of mercy, God of the moment, this moment, bring us to a full stop. Release the tension we hold in our bodies, the anxiety we feed in our minds. Release and be quiet, still, open to your presence. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you all. Let's exchange a sign of peace with one another. Miles and Amra. This is a song called Little Do You Know, uh, written by Sierra and Alex. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. This next one is Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell. Now, from up and down, 
have looked at love that way But now it's just another show You leave them laughing when you go And if you care, don't let them know Don't give yourself away Would you please join me in the prayers of community? I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, free us from the impulse to tally righteousness, to nurture our sense of just judgment, to ant- and instead to answer offense with mercy. Help us to disregard that which we despise in our neighbor. God of mercy. God of mercy, we pray that you would bring comfort to the families and the communities that are broken by violence, by those who are in power, be they police or policy makers, or the violence wrought by the weakest, the children who are scared and lost, who feel they have no other recourse but to act out violently. We pray all who are affected by violence, that you would surround them, that you would bring them peace and comfort and a glimpse of another way. Soften the hearts and sharpen the minds 
of those who would demand their rights in spite of the suffering it causes others. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for those who are in need of spiritual, emotional, and physical healing. We pray for those in our community who are dying and for those who are mourning the death of a loved one. We pray for all those who are sick. We pray for the lonely. We pray for those who are in prison and those who are imprisoned by addiction. We know that you are a healer. Surround them with your love, your peace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we have hurt the people in our lives and people who have passed through our lives with the things that we have left undone, things that we have done, the mistakes that we've made. We ask for your forgiveness and are assured that you judge us with your grace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. God of mercy, lead us in the way of radical mercy and gratitude, remembering to show mercy to ourselves as well as others. Amen. Uh, tonight's gospel is Matthew 5, 38 through 48. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you lo love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. It's all about love. The Sermon on the Mount that we've been preaching on the last four weeks, the whole Christian thing, God, the church. My entire adult life as a pastor has been about trying to understand, practice, communicate. And I still don't feel like I know what I'm talking about 
when I talk about love. In my defense, not that there's a call to be defensive, it may be similar or the same as talking about God, which is just not like math. Thank God, because I'm terrible at math. <laughs> love, God, just aren't things that lend themselves to precise definition. But unlike God or atonement or other particularly churchy things, everyone talks about love, writes songs and movies, makes art about it, and people aren't always saying the same things at all. It's like we keep generating endlessly more about love, beautiful songs and really stupid rom-coms. But maybe especially the Sunday after Valentine's Day when the word's been everywhere on little pink and white, chalky, gross, tasting candy hearts and lingerie ads and Disney princess Valentine cards. You might wonder if we even know what we're saying when we say it, or if we're really saying nothing. And the big biblical narrative love is what we're created out of. It's what we're created for. It's the source, and it's the goal. It's the Christian practice. But what is it? And in the part of the sermon that Neil read, it's like, well, whatever it is, Jesus seems to think we should extend it out further than seems imaginable or desirable, past caring for the vulnerable, love your enemies. It's almost like saying, love what you hate, which I think adds to the confusion. <laughs> and seems like a lot to ask. Love, 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 love your enemy. I realized by Wednesday morning that I was already pretty tired of my own thoughts on the subject. So I asked some of you for your thoughts. Thank you for everyone who got back to me. So after tallying the results, I can tell you that we are sort of all over the place on this one. And so many interesting and funny and wise and sad and hopeful and complex and simple places. Ruth and Raymond were my youngest responders, eight and 12 respectively. Ruth said love is kindness toward other people. Raymond said it's going out of your way to help others. I thought, that's fantastic. Maybe I could just stop there. <laughs> Being kind even to the enemy or going out of the way to help even the enemy doesn't seem impossible or incomprehensible. Most of us tend to complicate it a little more. Or maybe it's just that when you've been on the road for a while, the windows do tend to accumulate some dust from all the paths you've been down, so it's legitimately harder to see. As Amra said, there's not a right answer here. A lot of people I asked, almost everyone, though not quite, eventually ended up saying something to the effect of, I feel like I'm all over the place here. Or, sorry, that's pretty all over the place. Or, I'm, I'm rambling, or sorry to ramble. <laughs> I liked that. It made me think, of course, yeah, 
Love is all over the place. Rambles through all sorts of terrain, dark woods and erotic valleys and platonic grasses. <laughs> Ethics and romance and feeling and practice, grandmas and parents and children and lovers. In the biblical narratives, it's like God makes the world out of God's love. You live in it. It's the territory that God has set you free to wander in. God's like, I give you love. Now go out and live in it, explore it, discover what it is. Feed your children and your neighbors vegetables and chocolate, dissent, turn the other cheek, give someone your coat, cease all hostilities, give to everyone who asks from you, pray for those who persecute you, rub your partner's feet. Neil gave me that example, which I was very eager to share with Jim. <laughs> it seems like love's a thing where it would be worthwhile to use your imagination, worthy of lifelong exploration. I like the stories where people said, I used to think love was this, but now I've begun to see it almost entirely differently. It goes where you go, through adolescence, College, marriage, sickness, old age, death. Into every relationship, mother, brother, sister, enemy, lover, friend. That makes sense. Or maybe it doesn't quite make sense. But maybe it does make a way through the sad and scary, exciting and dull, beautiful and ugly life. All of it. I loved hearing people's thoughts on love even my brothers, who didn't respond to my texts, who wouldn't answer my phone calls, until I got him on the phone under other pretenses. He said, Debbie, I don't want to inflict my cynicism and disillusionment on everyone, or anyone. He's worked hard, as hard as anyone I know on behalf of the marginalized. I can't even tell you all the campaigns that he's organized to keep corporate money from driving immigrants out of his neighborhood, keep the monster out of the mission. Sidewalks are for people was another one of them fighting an ordinance in San Francisco that would make it illegal for people to sit on the sidewalk. The rich tech people wanted to get rid of the people without houses. He's fought for tenant rights and indigenous rights and prisoners' rights, and the people he was fighting for always ended up losing. Or they might win for 10 minutes, as he put it. He said, what do I think about love? It's the only force and motivation for good in the world. But it is not up to the task against humanity's self-destructive, cruel, greedy ways. Debbie, he said, love is definitely not winning. It never has. Yeah, I even liked hearing from my brother. Because there was something about his rant, I don't mean to diminish it by calling it a rant, but it was sort of a rant, a tendency we share as siblings. <laughs> but something about it felt cathartic, like there is something just under the surface lately, and a lot of us, I think, me anyway for sure, that suspects he might be right, that love might not be up to the task against the insatiable will to power and violence and division and the destruction of the planet, and AI, and COVID, and the next pandemic. The forces that are not love seem to triumph over and over again. 
to the point where it seems very likely that we might destroy ourselves and the planet. Or if not Mother Nature, then at least a lot of other species. I think Jesus recognized our destructive capacity even way back then, even before we started burning fossil fuel and making atomic bombs. The Sermon on the Mount is a call to step up our game, to get that transformation going. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say do not resist the evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You may have heard what I'm going to say before, but I think it's worth repeating. The original law, an eye for an eye, it wasn't something meant to inflict punishment. It was actually about limiting violence. Instead of escalating the spiral of vengeance, someone punches you, then you kill them. No, no more was to be exacted than what had been taken. So that law, an eye for an eye, was actually already this huge step in the ancient world toward limiting vengeance. But Jesus is saying, no, not even an eye for an eye. Don't retaliate. Drain vengeance and violence of all its power. He's not saying lay down and let the oppressor walk all over you. It's more like do something clever. Use your imagination. In this case, and try to picture this, someone strikes you with the outside of their right hand, an action that shows utter contempt. By turning your cheek, you're inviting them to slap you with the inside of their right hand, which is a very different sort of gesture. It usually means them getting closer to you. It's a slap instead of a backhand, which is more likely to be something that intimates do to each other than say what a master would do to a slave. What you're doing by turning the other cheek it's sort of like tricking them into a much less contemptuous position. If anyone takes your coat, Jesus says, your outer garment, offer them your cloak, your undergarment as well. I think this one is actually pretty funny. You're taking my coat? Here, take my underwear. It puts them in a pretty awkward position. Jesus is giving examples of ways to refuse to be caught up in the system of violence, ways to subvert the power. That reminds me of great, like, street art protests, like Reverend Billy in his bright pink suit and his choir dressed up like extinct animals, all crowding into Wall Street banks, singing crazy and beautiful songs. It's an awkward situation for the powers. Nonviolent resistance can be beautiful and funny. A lot of people who responded to my request to talk about love talked about caring. Kristen said love is deeply caring for the well-being of another. Yes. Cedar quoted an abolitionist phrase in her response to me, the only way to survive is by taking care of each other. Love is the caring community. Dan G. talked about how essential it is to recognize our, inter inter our interdependence. He said, I really believe why we are here and alive is to take care of each other. In the midst of writing the sermon, I got a text from 
Amanda from Our Revolution. She texts me a lot, though I've never asked her opinion. She was offering me a sticker to honor Bernie's most important idea. Love is fighting for someone you don't know. Right on, like all of you. After my brother vented his despair about how love was losing, I read him a response I got from Leif, who doesn't know him. Leif said, something I heard recently that stuck with me is that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. He quoted Edward Abbey, love implies anger. The man who is angry about nothing cares about nothing. It seemed like just the right thing to read to my brother. Hey, Andy, you think love's not up to the task, but you seem to be drowning in it. You're like incapable of apathy. I don't know what good that does, but I think it does. Love your enemy. Pray for those who hurt you. James Allison says that this is the most important passage in all the Gospels. Of course, it's easier to love people who love you than people who don't. But I'm sure that's not even exactly easy, because it always involves an other who can be pretty other at times, and not always pleasantly, incomprehensibly, uncontrollably other. Olivia wrote, I think that loving might mean seeing another human as radically other. Jesus is asking for a sort of boundless, good-heartedness, open-heartedness, not only toward the other we're fond of, which can be actually hard when they're chewing loudly, but to the otherest others there are, others who don't share our values, who might even be hostile to us. That doesn't seem easy. But Jesus does say a little further along in this book that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I don't think Jesus is asking people to love their enemies so that they'll be miserable. It's not about sacrificing everything beautiful and good and desirable. It's about creating the conditions that could expand joy and peace and freedom. A lot of you said something about the joy. Isaiah said, love means that someone makes you happy. Kristen said, love is a source of joy. Emily, though there can be hard parts, it's also enjoying someone. Stephen said, it's the most selfish and selfless act you can do, a paradox. But I think an enjoyable one. Carrie W. responded, with a smart and hilarious literary analysis of the romance novel genre. She said some of the most common cliches in this genre are friends who become lovers, which is almost always wholesome and hopeful. But then there's the whole enemies to lovers trope, which is way more exciting. There's the only one bed trope, which is best paired with the enemies to lovers. <laughs> Often after a long journey, they've been forced to go on with each other, mostly against their will, but they're tired in the end, and there's only one bed, so. 
I doubt this is what Jesus meant when he exhorted the people to love their enemies. But it did make me wonder if the real excitement or maybe freedom does come somehow not so much from loving those who love you, but when finally, after the long journey we really didn't think we wanted to be on with them, we end up metaphorically in the same bed as our enemies. The sun rises on the evil and the good. We eat breakfast, we take a walk, we die. And so does Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's a way where when Jesus is talking about all this, it seems super serious. Either we learn the way of non-retaliatory forgiveness that even loves enemies or we will destroy ourselves. But maybe viewed over a long time, a great distance, stretched out over the long arc of history or further, there's some sort of mercy that softens the sharp edges. I mean, I don't know. But does the image of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton riding off in a golf cart together seem terrible and unthinkable? Or a little bit funny? Why pray for those who persecute you? James Allison says, because if you pray for them, you can start to see them as God sees them. And you cease to be over against them, because God is not over against them, or you, or anyone, but toward us all. Allison says another way to think of it all might be, don't let the bastards get to you. That seems like a good spiritual practice. Learn not to be driven, not to be run by the evil others may do to you. Maybe learn to be just a little more as God is. Someone who's endlessly patient and kind, even when we are all so hostile. For God, it's not about whether we're good or not, or on God's side or not. God loves us when we are completely blind and utterly hostile. So love your enemy. Pray for those who hurt you. That God's joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Mm -hmm.